It's time for another Terry's Talking Podcast. I'm David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer, joined, as I am every week, by Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist for The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. How are you doing, Terry? I am well, David. we got a lot to get through. It's mm-hmm. a busy time of year. It's a, So I, I thought what we would do is maybe start with the Cavaliers today, and then we can talk about Browns draft, some Guardians. Um, mm-hmm. got, a, got a good Harry, hey, Terry question about Ted Stepien that I know you'll be looking okay. forward to. And uh, yeah, and I know you, uh, Gordon Lightfoot passed away, which I, I know kind of meant a lot to you. And we can talk about that down the road too, but let's get in the Cavs first. You, okay. You've got a series of columns that you've been writing, Terry, about kind of wrapping up the season and looking ahead. And I don't know, where do you want to start with? With Kevin Love? That was a column that you that you wrote, I think, right. for I yesterday mean, The first one I, I wrote right away was, in fact, the headline is, Cavs fans probably won't like this. And that's because... You know, I've been getting all the stuff about well, we want somebody to be held accountable and all, and and I always, I never wonder what does that mean. You hear that all the time in the media and from people. What well, held accountable? Well, I mean, in the end, do you want him fired? That's accountable. Or do you want him promoted? That's accountable too. But basically, I really think they want him yelled at. It's really, <laughs> I really that's the fans' job. That, that's what they kind of want. So, I mean. Kobe Altman, should he be held accountable for them losing the playoffs? Yeah, you could sit down and say you needed, you didn't do a good job with the bench, or we could delineate that. That has to do with the Kevin Love column. Um, J.B. Bickerstaff, same thing, you know, and that actually also rolls into the bench in the Kevin Love column. But the first story I wrote was, let's look at the big picture, and it may sound like Kobe Altman, but Kobe's correct. When you go from 22 to 44 to 51 wins and you really do secure a playoff berth and you did have the best defense in the uh, NBA and you've done it without a number one overall draft choice without a LeBron type free agent coming in here you did something admirable and and you did it with a lineup that's 26 years old and younger and the fact that a young team got punished in the playoffs is not a shock. We saw it in my, you know, I'm a big Mike Brown fan, and I was thrilled what he did. But his team fell apart. I was watching that game, uh, game seven. Now, at least they took it to game seven. Um, They ambushed um, Golden State early by winning the first two. Uh, But after that, they lost four of the next five. And I don't know what they ended up losing that game by 20 points at home. Yeah, and Steph Curry had, what, 50, right? (laughs) He was like, he was, he was like, you know, Jalen Brunson times two. I mean, he was just driving by everybody making layups. It looked like uh, Joe Tate's own line used to be. It looked like they never saw basketball before. And that's kind of how they were playing. So these things do happen in the NBA. And so I, as we talk about and break things down, I want fans at least to keep in mind from my perspective, I really like the overall direction of the team because I'd rather be looking for substitutes extra guys thinking where am I as opposed to where am I going to find three starters what is Chetty Osmond doing in the lineup as he used to be and some other things so so that's the overall thing so let's go from there yeah and and you're making me think last week Terry you probably saw when Giannis was asked after they were eliminated like was this season a failure and he went on a five-minute monologue about like fail you, you know did Michael Jordan fail every season he didn't win an NBA championship. Like, and it really was an interesting national debate kind of in NBA circles Mm -hmm. about like, what's a failure. Like this was, this Cavs season was anything, but like the arrows are pointing up in a big way. 
And and like just all the things you pointed pointed out, this thing is moving in the right direction, and now they just have to build on it. So I think that's a good frame of reference that you use to set the tone. Right. And to Giannis's point, the other way that team was set to win. That's an older team. Uh, the chances of them standing pat and getting better uh, are pretty minimal. They're going to have to figure out how to retool and everything else, not just, for example, the Cavs ad. So I would say that that's a lot closer to a failure when you blow out in the first round like they did. Now, Giannis was dealing with a back injury and that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's the discouraging thing about the Cavs in the playoffs. When you look, it wasn't like Donovan Mitchell pulled a hamstring in game two and then was was out or that kind of stuff. They were All their guys were healthy, and they still played so poorly. All right, Terry. So speaking of debates, okay, it was a lot of looking back after about Kevin Love. And mm-hmm. people are looking at what Kevin Love is doing in the playoffs for the Miami Heat this season. Um, especially of late, and and they've moved on. You kind of get into looking back at that deal and whether you thought it was the right thing at the time. Kevin Love asked for a buyout, and the Cavs gave it to him. I think the Cavs would have done the same thing again, and you st- you kind of have some stats in here to, to back some of that up. But um, Well, from the Cavs' point of view, and if you look at the numbers, uh, he was not playing very well here. And the rest of the regular season when he went to Miami was actually even a little worse less productive than that. The difference is the Heat decided to stay with him. Uh, They were going to live with some of the bad defense and trade it off for defensive rebounding and those occasional hot shooting games from the outside. Um, The Cavs became enamored with Dean Wade. They, They had all these internal stats about how the team played better with him on the floor, especially defensively. Uh, They thought in time he could become the big small forward, the six eight I'm sorry, six ten small forward, who can uh also play some power forward and make some three pointers. Uh, but Wade's game just really regressed this year. Now he had a bunch of different injuries, but they were clearing the deck with with love to go to Dean Wade. And that judgment turned out to be wrong. And in fact I think he played nine minutes in the playoffs. Let me see in if the that's one game. Correct. He just played in one game, right? One game. He played two games. Two yes, games. and he played eleven total minutes. And one of them was garbage time. So that was wrong. That and that was a and and I also think that after Love watched I think he went twelve games without playing. Now some of it he was at the beginning he was hurt, but after that he was healthy. Um he was miserable. I was told that and I had heard that at the time. Because his contract was coming up to an end, he wanted to prove he could still play. So he went and wanted out. And so I, I'm sure they had a discussion with JB, and, and they said, Are, is he going to play or not? Because if he's not going to play, we have to get him out. If he's going to play, fine. But you got to play him. And you got to go back to giving him his 15 to 20 minutes and see what happens. And, Terry, the, just to back the numbers up here, with the Cavs, his last 41 games, 20 minutes a game. 8.5 points a game, 6.8 rebounds, and 389 shooting. 21 games with Miami, 20 minutes per game, 7.7 points per game, 5.7 rebounds per game, and 388 shooting. And then in the playoffs... The big as, deal, though, there, David, was the three-point shooting. Right. See, that's where he is. He shot 25% on three-pointers. For, basically, after January 1st of the end of the regular season, he shot 25% on three-pointers. I mean, that's a big part of his game. Then the playoffs roll around, and <laughs> so he's averaging nine point seven points, 
seven rebounds, and he's shooting 415 from the field, but 419 on three points. Actually, in playing, still playing 20 minutes a game. You'll take yeah. that any time. It's like he got refreshed or something. Well, and aside from the scoring, Terry, you just watched the way that Cavs-Knicks series unfolded, mm-hmm. the way Robinson was just killing them down low. If you would have had Kevin Love down there, I mean, it's easy. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But Kevin Love, with the way he rebounds and takes charges and, and his outlet passing, like you could have used 15 or 20 minutes of Kevin Love. like. And what, what did the Cavs get get out of it by letting him go? Well, you uh, could have found out. They saved a million dollars, right? Yeah, Whatever it was. right. And it really wasn't – It was what I could tell you, when Dan Gilbert's involved, $2 million is like you and I talking about $2. I'm serious. It, it means nothing. The discussion was, will you play – and, and so basically it rested on J.B. Bickerstaff and the front office with all their internal stats about Dean Wade, and it just didn't work out. Then also they picked up uh, Danny Green. So they thought, well, they'd be able to get some of that three-point shooting with Green. Well, Green was coming off an ACL. And, in fact, in my story on Kevin Love, I really wrote about the whole bench. Uh, I put Green and Ricky Rubio in the same category, two veteran guys, both coming off ACL knee surgeries. Neither were ready to start the season. Both came in at midseason. Neither are really playing anywhere close to their best. And so – they were hoping to get Green in shape, and I think Green, I can't remember whether he got COVID or he got the flu. Or he, Remember, he was ill for like 10 days, Right. and then I think he had an ankle or something. Now, they did play Green in the playoffs. He played 40 minutes and scored three more points than David Campbell did. So, so they three. tried to get something yep. out of him, and it didn't work. So you roll back, and then poor uh, – I'm a big Rubio fan, but my goodness, his shot's broken right now. I mean, it looks terrible. And then he went in, in, in the couple of games he played in the playoffs. I mean, he had like six fouls and four assists in 12 minutes. And just he just looked overwhelmed. Now, I think Rubio could come back better next year. That knee will be stronger. He'll feel more confident in it. Or his career will be over, one or the other. But I, I would not write Rubio off. Um, but so and when you talk about the bench, you're just not – you're only – Kevin Love doesn't save the Cavs in that series. He would have helped, but it doesn't save them. Because it was a total breakdown of there where you're talking about, you know, Chetty Osman. I just, I have a hard time with Chetty. I just can't sort of watch it anymore. I know he's good sometimes, but other times, no. The good thing for the Cavs, he's got a 6.5 million uh, team option for next year. You could just take that off the books. And, and let him go. And I think Chetty's fine on some team that's not very good, but, you know, that. But I'm just looking at off the bench. Um, and, and then JB was just uh, totally confused. I mean, he couldn't decide whether Levert or O'Kora should start in the playoffs. By that point, you got to know. And you got to stick with it. Yeah, okay. To my point, all right, so they let Okoro open in the corner. He doesn't have to shoot it. He could drive to the rim. He could just move the ball to somebody else. Lenny Wilkins is, he used to say two, one, two things. Just because you're open doesn't mean you have to shoot it, meaning you know it's not a good shot for you. And he would say sometimes a, a, a small guy would cut into the middle of the lane, and for a split second he's open. But you're thinking, why am I throwing, as he would say, a pass to Mark Price who's six foot when there's two seven-footers like just on his back coming right behind him. It's a bad spot. Wait for him to get out to the corner. In other words, get to where he ought to shoot from the outside. 
So it was just a lot of confusion. And really, I would have stuck with Mobley, or even if, if you want to go that way with Lamar Stevens starting, and then brought, kept bringing Levert off the bench. Well, Levert, I, we got to give him a lot of credit because I've been somewhat critical of him. He was terrible in the opening game of the playoffs. After that, he was a man. He was in there. Now, he didn't always take great shots or whatever, but their lights were not too bright for him. He was in the middle of everything. I mean, he I just was really pleased with him. I, he was the leading rebounder in one of the games. Um, you know, so he was your one guy who could bring offense off the bench, but after that, that was it. So their plans, where I'm going with this, that Rubio would come back from the knee and Green would come back from the knee, did not work out. That Wade would grow into this role, like Love somewhere, did not work out. And that um, they would just somehow, I don't know what they were the thinking was on Levert in and out, out of the lineup. I understand when Levert had a play when one of the other regulars wasn't in there. But, you know, otherwise, you don't need a guy taking a ton of shots, a small forward, when you got the other four guys in there. So that's that's a lot of what went wrong, and it starts with love and it, but it trickles down into a whole bunch of other things. And this is where the front office and coaching staff now this is where they need to do some work and look at what they did and figure out how to change this. Yeah, and we'll I think we could probably spend half a podcast coming up here the next few weeks here going through some options to build this bench. Yeah, and build and that's this what roster I wanted to wait and, for and, that down the yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. So we'll do that. So I, I wanted to talk about Evan Mobley for a minute. Okay. Um, there was some interesting reaction. I mean, this was kind of the first time that the nation had seen Evan Mobley in a, mm-hmm. in a playoff series, and kind of he had gotten a lot of time on TV. Charles Barkley, after the series was over, called him light in the cakes. <laughs> Probably right. <laughs> Which I thought was a was a great phrase, but it got me thinking and about he knows like, about cakes. <laughs> he certainly does. <laughs> How he's built and what he likes to eat. So yeah, both. have you have you seen the the new uh, Charles Barkley commercial where he's sitting next to young Charles, <laughs> and, <laughs> and at the end of the commercial, uh, young Charles says, "Chuck, tell me how many titles I'm going to win." And old old Chuck just sits there, and then young Chuck goes. Wait, wait, don't tell me. I want to be surprised. <laughs> and old Chuck goes, oh, you're going to be surprised. Don't yeah, worry. You'll be all but, right. Um, but it got me thinking about Evan Mobley and like Chris Fedor, our colleague who covers the Cavs, wrote a, a really interesting story at the start of the season about how the Cavs keep working with Evan Mobley and like Hall of Fame, man, your Hall of Fame material. You mm-hmm. got to keep pushing. You got to keep pushing. What does Evan Mobley's game look like when he quote unquote arrives? And I I kept thinking about different guys around the league and I'm not saying he's going to be Kevin Durant, but he's kind of built like Kevin Durant. And then some people, you know, some of our listeners on the podcast have mentioned like Tim Duncan comparisons. And I think we've talked about that. And I started thinking like, well, geez, he's going to be Brad Doherty. Like he, he is so slender, but he's so tall and he's got great skills. What, All right, do you, I don't like what any kind of, of players do you think? Yeah, I wanted to kick you I don't like any of those. Comparison. I Good, remember watching I wanted to ask you. <laughs> a, a late one night, and this was like in maybe December of the only year that uh, Durant was in college. And I just happened to be watching a Texas game. And I'm watching this kid who I barely had heard of. And I'm going, this is one of the greatest college players I've ever seen. He's almost seven foot, and he could just shoot like crazy. And also, I saw when he defended, he had nice timing on how to block shots and whatever. So, no, he's generational. Uh, forget that. Uh, Doherty was more of a classic low post guy. And, by the way, he did get bigger in the cakes as he went along. He came into the league at 20, but even then he was heavier and, and stronger in the lower body than Evan. 
Um, who else did you say? Oh, I just throwing out some Cavs bigs, man. Like Brad Doherty, probably he's he's a different kind of player yeah. than Evan Mobley will be. But what do you what should Evan Mobley's game look like? Do you think? What do you want to see him turn into? Or is there maybe there's well, not there, a player who compares? I don't. I know. I mean, the, the, I've heard Giannis, and there's some of that there. Some of Giannis's game there. He has to develop. Remember, he's only 21, and so he has to develop his shooting and and some of the things. But you know, Giannis is, just puts a lot of heat on you offensively and defensively because he he's very aggressive going to the rim. And that, and then defensively, he's he's terrific. Uh, a guy who always had kind of a strange game, but it was effective, and it might be like Mobley is Chris Bosh. Uh, hmm. That is, those are more of the the type of players that um, I think uh, he can become, as opposed to um, some of those. And you know, they're all terrific players. I mean, I don't know if Giannis is if he could be like Giannis, but I remember, I don't think anybody who saw Giannis thought he would turn into that. And as we're talking, I'm checking just to see uh, how, how Giannis played at the age of 21. And so when I look at this, you know, at the age of 21, uh, Giannis averaged 16.9 points and he averaged seven and a half rebounds. It wasn't until he turned 22, his fourth year in the league, is when he suddenly bolted out with 23 points a game, and then he averaged eight and a half rebounds, and he just kept getting better from there. So hmm. in other words, he had to play in the NBA for three years before he began to really sort of figure it out, and then it was his fourth year when he became that 20-point guy and started getting into the MVP discussion. And if you look at it, it's amazing how his, his performance just continued to improve year after year after year. Um, now, does Mobley have the uh, wherewithal in terms of sticking to it, everything else, when he gets that first max contract? Uh, will he keep working hard because he needs to, like Giannis did? That This is, I think, the high mark for it. But it's a, it's a similar situation where early on they weren't sure what kind of player Giannis could be. Sure. And, yeah, like, Terry, we're not saying that, he's going to be Kevin Durant no. or he's going to be Giannis. But, you know, when, when Evan Mobley gets the ball foul line extended right, yeah. is he going to post up? Is he going to shoot that jumper? Is he going to, you know, is he going to put the ball on the floor and try and like, or maybe all of it? Like, I'm just interested in, in what decision he makes and what he's going to do well. Like, what does he do well? Well, is, he won't be. I just don't think he'll become a great shooter. By now we'd see it. Giannis is still not a great shooter. But he could score. He's got all kinds of different ways to score. He's so long, going to the rim, drawing a ton of fouls. See, that's the thing that we're, that Mobley's going to have to do is learn how to, you know, draw a bunch of fouls. I mean, Giannis has averaged at least nine free throws a game for the last six seasons, you know, free throw attempts. So those are the that's that's what he could do because he can he can kind of clear out and score that way. He has sort of a mid-range jumper, um, but he's not going to be a classic low post guy. I don't see that. And he's not going to be a classic three-point shooting outside guy. But there's a whole bunch of in-between shots that could work just fine. I mean, (laughs) they still keep trying to have Giannis shoot from the outside. He's a career 28% shooter on threes. This last year he shot 27%. You know, it's not there. So... I mean, if you want to let him take a couple of game five, but let's not, you know, the NBA thinking just because you're open from the three-point line, you should shoot it. Not necessarily. 
Well, and like you said, there, it's seven foot. There's going to be a lot of other stuff them for, for ton of it. stuff there then, for him. And, yeah. and I think, like you said, where you see him go up and down the floor, you see him drive down the lane. Uh, there's a lot for him to still figure out. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm very upbeat on him, but he got beat up in that series, and that's good. Let him find out what it's like. Well, and he and he what in January, February he had the epiphany that I got to get in the weight room and get bigger, mm-hmm. and he's already started that process. So it, I wonder what he's going to look like body wise when the season starts. You know, uh, I'll tell you, the but the, really the big disappointing guy, the most disappointing guy to me in the playoffs is one of my favorites, and that's Jared Allen. Jared Allen averaged four point four defensive rebounds a game. I mean, it's terrible. He had seven four seven and a half overall. But he just like you talk about get pushed around, and now he's you know he's older. He's played in the, he's played in the uh, playoffs before, um, and then he would get the ball like five feet from the basket and turn around, and throw it to the guy for a corner three. You know, score. It was just to me, I, it was just amazing to see how he disappeared. And the tough thing there also shows that the Cavs need to go get some size from somewhere because they really had nowhere to go. They didn't want to put Robin Lopez in that mess, and they didn't want to play Dean Wade. So they just kept playing Garland and Mobley. I'm sorry, excuse me, Mobley and and uh, Allen over and over again. Yeah, just someone who can go get the ball and do the dirty work, right, is, mm-hmm. is what they'd be looking for. Yeah, and, and, and there's the other, people out the there other you can column, get for not much money. Yeah, the other column that I wrote, and this is this, – Maybe I was the only one interested in this, but because I, I didn't get hardly any emails. Or, I looked at Donovan Mitchell's career, and I looked at his last couple of years, and this is the sixth time he's been in the playoffs, which is admirable. Six years in the league, six times in the playoffs, and but he's only won't got through the first round twice, and then he went to the second round, and that's been it. Last year, he had a miserable playoffs. Stats are almost identical to these playoffs. And the last two games where he really struggled, Donovan did this year, very similar to last year. Whereas earlier in his playoff career, he was scoring a ton of points. Uh, I don't know what to make of that other than he's a really good player. He's an all-star. But this is not um, the kind of guy, like LeBron never lost in the first round, so he went to the Lakers. There are certain guys who just, you know, they get their team into the playoffs for the first round. They get through the first round. And Donovan's not that guy. Now, you still build around him. You still really like him. I mean, it's very important to have a guy that helps you win 50 games and get to the playoffs. But I think the, the thinking, and I and, and I also believe uh, uh, J.B. fell into this, of, of wanting him to just kind of take everything over. He's not quite good enough to do that. Well, when they started missing shots, too, there was nobody to get them. And yep. that was the other part of it, that to get was second exactly and third chances. Correct. Yeah. And I don't know why the basic thing is when you're getting your butt kicked on the boards, it's the moment you're on defense and that shot goes up from the other team, everybody goes to the boards. And that's what the Knicks did. The Knicks guards and small forwards got a ton of rebounds. I mean, Josh Hart got 12 in one game. Well, the Cavs have their work cut off for them. It's going to be a really fascinating offseason yeah. in terms of who they keep, who they bring in. Uh, and we can we can get more into that, Terry, like we were talking about in an upcoming podcast. We'll get some names and some salary numbers, and we can crunch some of that. So that sounds good. Yes. Um, all right, let's take a break. We will be right back. We're going to break down the Browns draft. Terry, the Browns made you smile when they said something about the draft, and we'll, we'll talk about that. We're also okay. going to get the Guardians a little bit, and we'll be right back on Terry's Talking. 
We're back on Terry's Talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. We're going to get into the Browns draft here. Terry, you were out in Berea for the draft this weekend, and the Browns said something. They drafted some big guys, and then they said something that kind of made you smile. Why don't you talk about that? Because I I even asked them, so this show only tried to change your philosophy. Oh, no, it it really doesn't. You know, it just (laughs) kind of the draft fell this way, and and then they kind of went on this thing about, um, well, we know they're big, but they're fast. No, they drafted big guys. Um, uh, Ika, how do you say his last name until I get it right? Yeah, you got it, Ika. Ika. Whether he weighs 340 or 370, take your pick, is the biggest guy ever drafted by the Barry regime here. It's not even close. So, also, they put... Um, you know, $50 million worth of Tomlinson, he weighs like 335 or something. No, something changed. And what changed is Jim Schwartz showed up. That's what changed. Absolutely. And they could call them like dancing bears. That's their new thing now that these big, they haven't said in the press conference, but they told me in some other private, we got these dancing bears. Okay, fine. You know, bears are big, but they're agile. Whatever you want to call them, they're bigger. So I'm smiling about that. I'm smiling that they won. They even if they don't want to admit it, they corrected some flaws and they got dancing bears. <laughs> so yeah, Terry, you look at uh, Ika and also Dewan Jones, the offensive lineman yes. out of Ohio state that they drafted, who is just a huge guy. Orca, they, very called him Orca. Yeah. Orca. <laughs> but I was laughing because um, when Ika was in for an interview, apparently Jim Schwartz told him, listen, you're not, you're not going to be a dump truck anymore. You're going to be a Ferrari. And and he said, to be honest, I don't know what that means. I'll, I'll do whatever he wants me to do. I will be a Ferrari. I will be a Chevy if you want me to. It's like, dude, you cannot play in the NFL at 358 pounds. He wants you to drop like 30 pounds. It's it's like Greg Williams used to tell guys, like, drop 20 pounds or when you come back or don't come back. Like, Yeah. Yeah, basically, so, right. We need you at that same weight that Tomlinson is. It's a good weight to play 330. And it's a lot better than playing at 270, which is what some of those guys were playing last year. So that, you know, that was very good. Uh, I thought that uh, I'm all for drafting Ohio State linemen. There's a number of those guys. They took two of them. Yeah, Luke Whipler was the other one they took in the sixth round of center. Um and then Dewan Jones went in the fourth round. How good is he? So. What are, what are Ohio, our Ohio State people say about him? Yeah, they, they've written a lot about Luke. Um, he, he was thinking about coming up for the draft last year and then stayed a year and, and, and was um, thinking about even staying at Ohio State again, but he figured this was the time. And it's real steady, reliable, mm-hmm. good player, but they say he has short arms for an NFL center, and that was the one thing that kind of made him drop. So. So there you go. So we'll see if he fills in along the line. But well, I mostly as make... a center, he's not really a guard from what, what our Ohio State guys are. Well, know. the other thing, too, David, you know, in the past, we've seen the Brown centers get hurt, and suddenly they're pre- putting guys in there who really are not centers. So this way, you've got Nick Harris, who, of course, keeps getting hurt, but he's still there. You know, they, they brought Posick back because they brought Posick back because Harris keeps getting hurt. And they probably sat there and by the late rounds said, you know, what if we have one of those calamities? Postic gets hurt. Harris, once again, is hurt. Uh, we better get somebody that at least has played some big-time center somewhere. And so they took uh, the Ohio State kid, and good for them. I liked it. Yeah. So, Terry, of things you still think they might need on this roster, um, a couple of positions on defense, right? Oh, yeah. Safety. A lot of safety. Linebackers. Sa- I mean, who are their safeties? You got Thornhill. You got Delpit. 
And you have? Great question. Yeah, just guys after that. Yeah. You know, there's a couple other guys. And so that's a – now, some people think that the Mitchell, Mitchell kid from Northwestern could play some safety. Um, I think, by the way, that he could be their, the guy that ends up getting a lot more play in this draft than people figure because, one, he's supposed to be good at uh, the special teams, so that's important. And secondly, um, they always run through cornerback. You know, how many games is, is uh, Denzel going to miss? The answer is four and above. So that's usually the case. Um, and oftentimes other people t- tend to get hurt. So he, he by playing some a cornerback, supposedly can cover the slot. Uh, they always say the Browns have all these defensive backs. And then about game 11, you're out there looking at guys that they brought up from the practice squad. It's like uh, relief pitchers. You can never have too many, right? You can never have enough. Never have enough. So, so if you look at this roster, Terry, I, I'm trying to think of players who should be worried after this mm-hmm. draft. Who comes to mind for you in that category? Why don't you start, and then I'll come up with a few. Well, number one has got to be Anthony Schwartz. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's competition that they brought in in free agency. Now they drafted Cedric Tillman in the third round. Um, out of Tennessee, there's just a lot of guys with a lot of different skill sets, and Anthony Schwartz has just not proven to be trustable. Uh, yeah, I mean, so far. Really, this is was a classic thing of like we're not um, going to you know mess around with this year. Uh, if you don't show, that's fine. We we got a whole bunch of guys. I mean, this also what this did, David was. Um, Deshaun, you want guys that could run and catch the ball? We got a whole bunch of these guys for you, and so that's you know so that's a, a given thing there that they can do that. I'm actually checking the roster now because I'm trying to find out if I missed any safeties, and the answer is the other one. I knew there was one other one. They like him somewhat, DeAnthony Bell, but that's it. So you got Thornhill, Delpit, and DeAnthony Bell. They have a guy named Bubba. Bubba Bolden, but I don't see him playing. Um, but when we go back to, you know, other areas, you know, on the on the defensive tackle, um, I mean, Jordan Elliott's there, but they brought in like Michael Hurst and these guys. But I don't I don't really know. Togia, by the way, I know they were very disappointed with how he played. And, of course, Perry and Winfrey may be detained, shall we say, elsewhere. Uh, so who knows on him? I'm glad they loaded that up. I'm still looking at, you know, you go, who's the linebackers on this team? Start naming linebackers. Anthony Walker, who's coming off of a serious yeah. injury that knocked him out most of the time. You got JOK. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think who else. You have Taki Taki coming off an ACL, who's probably not going to be ready. Yep. You have Jacob Phillips, who's in the Nick Harris class of getting hurt. Um, then you have just a bunch of guys, Tony Fields and so on. This Matt Adams that they like as a special teams guy. But when you look at that, to me, um, safety and linebackers need help. And, you know, some of these guys that they, they've been talking about, Andrew Berry being reluctant to cut draft picks, they're going to get cut now. Yeah, and another person I want to ask about, how are you feeling if you're Jedrick Wills Jr. right now, Terry? So kind of <laughs> – they, they bring in Dewan Jones in the fourth round, a little lower than a lot of people thought he was going to go. Mostly right tackle, never gives up a sack. But mm-hmm. at the same time, Jedrick Wills had his, his fifth-year option picked up by the Browns. 
they want to see more aggressiveness and kind of meanness, I think, and physicality out of him. And mm-hmm. I, I'm just wondering, I don't think Dewan Jones was a message. I just think it was kind of an insurance policy with Conklin getting hurt, hurt, you know, yeah, oh, sure. more, more than you'd like. And, and just, if you need a big physical body, even if you just put him on the end of the line as a tight end mm-hmm. in a goal line situation, you, you've got a beefed up front that's more physical, but it, I, I just was thinking about Jedrick Wills and like, yes, he's a left tackle. He's starting left tackle, first round draft pick. But having Dewan Jones might make him, you know, think about his position on the team and making sure that he's he's doing things the right way. So I don't know. Well, I mean, we all ought to have the fallback position being a fourteen million dollar one year contract, but which is what he got. The other guy, and this is a guy they do like, and we haven't seen him do a whole lot. It's James Hudson. They do like Hudson. And I think their feeling is, uh, let's load up because, as you mentioned, Conklin does get hurt. So we got Hudson, and then they thought, let's bring in Jones and develop him. And you have Wills. So those are the the players there. I forgot that Drew Forbes is still on this team, by the way. I didn't know that because, uh, you know, he he's kind of been on and off the practice squad. Michael Dunn's played a couple different positions. So, yes, I think it's a <clears> – <throat> I mean, what they did is was want to see more from Jedrick Wills. And you have to be careful because sometimes these guys do develop later. And the fact is they did make him change positions. He was a right tackle at Alabama. I'm talking about Wills, who never played left tackle even in high school. And I think as we see, which generally is the case, it's a hard transition. All right. Anything else on the Browns, Terry? No, I don't. I don't really think so. So it was just. It was just a. You're sitting there with the draft and going, okay. Oh, I, I really thought they draft the running back. Now they took this kid from Georgia Tech. Uh, uh, I think Hassan Hall. It's a. They signed him as undrafted free agent. Gave him like one hundred fifty thousand dollars. So they like him some. I looked at his bio. It was kind of hard to tell um, how good he is. But I, I'm going to keep an eye on him and Camp because the running back situation. There's, you know, you've got Ford and you've got Nick Chubb and you have whom? Hassan Hall is the kid's name, by the way. Uh, John Kelly, who I like a little bit. Remember, he always plays in the exhibition games. He plays mm-hmm. fairly well. Demetri- oh, by Demetri Felton, talk about worried. He should just pack his bags. I'm yeah, very they, serious. They've given him a lot of opportunity yeah. to show what he can yeah. do and not really yeah. happening. He, and when he's so scary on punts, I don't even want to think about it. All right, well, we'll have rookie minicamp coming up here, and we'll get to see some of these guys on the field together, which will be happening uh, within the next couple of weeks. And the schedule for the NFL comes out. It's a national holiday, Terry, May 11th. Yeah. So, all right, yeah, then they'll put out the exhibition games, and they won't even give you the dates of them. I like that <laughs> at first. Okay. All right, Guardians. Uh, a typical Guardians win last night, coming from behind in the ninth inning to beat the Yankees in New York. This whole pitching thing has been crazy, Terry. It's like Paul Hoynes, our colleague who covers the team, did a big thing about like, all right, these young guys are coming up and they're staying. So like yeah. somebody's got to go. And we've already seen that with Connor Pilkington uh, getting mm-hmm. sent to the Diamondbacks for cash uh, yesterday. We're taping this on Tuesday. But where do you stand with the pitching, where the pitching is at right now on this team? Well, Pilkington showed up heavy. And I wrote about this in, in camp. They were very upset by that. They, you know, the Guardians never say anything, and I had to really dig to find that out because I thought he looked kind of big when I saw him in the locker room. And, and then they were very disappointed because 
there was a roster spot sitting there for him, which, by the way, went to Curry. You know, he was the one that took his Avian Curry, who they like, but they don't really want to start him. You know, Hunter Gaddis was another guy, and then Hunter Gaddis beat him out. Now, Gaddis has had some ups and downs, and he's in the minors now. But they're looking at, okay, let's see what Battenfield can do. Let's see what, um, especially when you talk about Bibby, then, you know, Bybee, excuse me, he was a, he was a fourth round pick that immediately turned into a first rounder in their mind. And then if you also look at uh, Logan Allen, he can never have enough lefties named Logan Allen. I mean, it's remarkable that first of all, even two of them end up in the majors, much less on the same team. Uh, and he's a, you know, he was a guy they took. So they said, we really like them. And they're holding a spot for Gavin Williams. That's the next one could be next. Cause they're, they're trying to win. So they're not going to go a long time with, you know, Savali can't get healthy, or they can always put Plesak in the bullpen. Which they I, might. I was yeah. asked the top Guardians guy about that. He goes, well, he doesn't have really one great pitch or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but he's, you know, every time he starts, the ERA is four and a half. I mean, it's just. So you so, mentioned you mentioned Tanner Bybee, Terry. He's actually pitching tonight for the Guardians against mm-hmm. uh, Garrett Cole, which is going to be a showdown of unbeaten yeah. pitchers. Uh, Tanner Bybee uh, won his first outing, went five and two thirds, um, ZRA one point five nine after after one uh, one outing, eight strikeouts, mm-hmm. one earned run, one uh, one run allowed total, and six hits. Uh, what do you think? People are very excited. Guardians fans are really excited about should be Tanner Bybee, and, and you think they should be, yeah. Yeah. Why is that? He's thrown harder than he used to. That was the story with Bieber, too. Now, I was told by a top Guardians guy, and I wrote this in spring training, that Bybee has, he said, now, please don't say he's going to be another um, Cy Young Award winner, but he has Bieber-like poise, he said, and, and control. And actually, right now, he's thrown harder than Bieber. But, you know, these people obsess about Bieber's velocity. I don't. As long as his arm's not hurting, I don't worry about it. And, I mean, you look at here, oh, he's not throwing that hard. Well, he's got a 3.11 ERA in 37 innings, you know. Fine with me. I think that I think that works. Uh, I was glad to see Quantrill pitch well. But, I mean, I'm looking at Plezak again. His ERA is 7.59. Now, granted, it's a small sample size this year, but when you talk about Sample size, we're talking about Plezak. His ERAs, the last four years in 21, it was 467. And 22 was 431. So, all right, take a couple runs off and he's down to 459, you know. But that's what he is. You're looking at about, no, you're looking at exactly 54 starts. This is who he is. Now, would that play better in the bullpen for a couple innings? Maybe. I know this, when he's pitching, they always go into, he doesn't get the run support, blah, blah, blah. You're still not supposed to give up four and a half runs a game, whether whether you're not getting any support or not. No doubt about it. The mm-hmm. numbers don't lie, right? No, they are. And it's a fairly, well, big sample size. And if I ask you this, what does Plezak do best? No, it's not a sarcastic thing. And they, you know, fans look at him, well, he punches chairs or whatever. No. No, so seriously, what does he do best? Yeah, that, that's that's the issue, right? Yes, exactly. For example, Eli Morgan, what does he do best? That changeup is really good, and he throws a ton of strikes. Um, what does uh, you know? I'm trying to think about what does uh, Quantrill do best? He's got that sinker, and you know what he has? He has a knack of hanging in there, and he seems very competitive. 
Uh, I, I'm a big Quantrill guy. I just I just really like him. And I, I wonder if early on, yet another one of those guys that went to the World Baseball Classic and then comes in and he's kind of messed up. But, you know, when you go, now you look at the last couple of years for Quantrill. Let's just do this for by comparison. Because remember, when this trade was made and Quantrill came to Cleveland, Plezak by far was the better prospect. Okay, 2021, Quantrill, 289 ERA. 2022, 333 ERA. You know, and so this year he's at 473. It's going to continue to go down. So he'll probably be between three and three and a half. That's a winning pitcher. Absolutely. You mentioned Eli. And he's durable. Excuse me. I'm sorry. And durable. Go ahead. No, I was just going to mention, you mentioned Eli Morgan, and we we talked about him last week. Not only is the changeup working as it always has, but, uh, and I think Paul Owens and Joe Noga have been writing about this too. He's added a a pitch to give him, he was just a fastball changeup guy. Now he's got a third pitch. And it's really making it. He's got a 0.00 ear on average. So we're going to have to track this and see, see how, how long go. he keeps and, it. And yeah. that's, see, these guys can't improve. That's always the Guardian's point. Whereas I know it sounds like you're beating up Plezak, but the fact is, how has he improved? What is his best pitch? We don't see that. You know, Savali, I don't know what to say about him because he can't stay healthy. Now, you could think if Savali could ever get healthy, he can get back to the guy who was very promising before. It just goes to show you when they had that whole group of guys. This is the I wrote a big story about the 2016 draft, and I added uh, Adam Pletko in that to the 2015. These four guys, Bieber, Plezak, Savali, and Pletko kind of came up uh, a few years ago almost all at once. And here's your rotation. And now you look at it. And the only guy really left standing that's good is Bieber. The other guy left standing and pitching is Plezak. You know, Savali keeps going on the disabled list, and uh, Pletko is in the KBO in Korea. And that is why they draft so many pitchers, because they're trying to – Remember the one year they took 18 out of 22 pitchers, yeah. and I believe that was the year that they took Logan Allen and they took Gavin Williams and those guys. As we keep talking, I will check that draft. So what else, David? Oh, no, that, that's it. <laughs> what else in the um, Guardians? Do you think they'll hit at all? So, you know, Josh Naylor was talking about this last night. He had a big hit to help them rally and win the game. He's like, it's May. I'm just going to keep putting in the work, and the numbers will go up. And mm-hmm. I think that's true of all these guys. I mean, you look at what Jose's batting, 279. He's usually up around 300. Stephen Kwan, 278, mm-hmm. which is right where he's supposed to be at, right? Uh, yeah. Jimenez, Jimenez is at 243. Like that's he's not going to hit 243. Yeah, that's a surprise to me because yeah. I just I really um, thought that uh, he would uh, not. You know, it's not terrible. Just I just thought he would be better. And I think Rosario's been like 228. So like all these guys are not performing at what mm-hmm. they're going to be doing in the middle of June, July, August. Uh, and so I think they're just trying to grind it out. And that, that's what they do best. So I, I think yeah, we'll see some of these numbers you, you start do, to go up. They're playing 500. They do need some help, you know, uh, on that. Just somebody – that's the thing. They have nobody who's hot in terms of hitting-wise. So, um, you know, it's a, it's an it's an interesting thing. I just uh, – they always figure this out. Remember, the thing about the Guardians, they're never bad. When your worst record in the last 10 years is 80 and 82, and that's what it is, you're never bad. And they're going to keep finding guys, and they're going to have some guys we never heard of, 
and they're going to, and they're not afraid to go through the prospects and then they might make a trade. So that's the thing. Now, one problem, David, that they don't have this year, and I'm going to go check the Columbus Clippers stats as we're talking, just to make sure that I'm not speaking completely out of school here. Uh, they do not have a hitter primed to come up in AAA. Uh, so they, you know, they just they just don't have anybody like that. And um, I'm looking at um, you know their roster because remember Valera, who was their big guy, he ended up uh, getting hurt. And he still hasn't played. He hurt his hand or something. And so they brought up this Fry kid, but he's 27 years old. He's not a big-time prospect at all. So when you start looking, other than Bo Naylor, for example, you know, who's hitting – but he's hitting 244 down there. Uh, he's got five homers. Uh, and I'm looking, you know, Palacios, we've seen him. He's hitting 300. Now, Tyler – their middle infielders are hitting. Tyler Freeman's hitting 347. Uh, Roccaccio is, is hitting 351. So the middle infielders are hitting, which, by the way, could, they could decide, you know, we're going to trade. If we give something Rosario, we'll trade him and, and try to see if uh, one of those two kids could take over uh, shortstop. They could do that. Um, but they're just there's nobody like Oscar Gonzalez was hitting last year or even like, well, Brennan was hitting. Uh, they don't have that guy. So that's why they got to get these guys in the big league straightened out. Yeah, and the weather will start to get warm. It's been a bad weather spring. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were up in Detroit. It was freezing. There, it's it's freezing here. So the, the weather will warm up, and and we'll see. All some right, of these here's a name to up. keep an eye on because I have I haven't even mentioned in my notes that I need to is Michael Kelly. He's a reliever there. Um, he's been a like a per, per, perpetual prospect. He's pitched 11 innings and struck out 21 with a 154 ERA. Now I'm going to get you his his age. He was a high round draft pick. He's 30 years old. He never even made it till the majors last year, but he may. Yeah, he was a, 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 a he was a 48th overall pick in 2011 by San Diego. Of course, you can never have enough San Diego prospects. They always get them. Um, and I just think that he is a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, and they could end up uh, having him. You may see him. You know, just like they found De Los Santos. Who the heck was De Los Santos? They come up with these guys. Yep, they'll figure it out. They'll, they'll figure, figure it out. out. So. All right, we got a uh, hey Terry question. Hey, okay. if you want to hit us with a with any questions or comments about the podcast, you can send those to sports at cleveland dot com, and we will try to get them on next week. This one is from Robert in Cincinnati via Canton, and he says, "Hey Terry." Can you share some Ted Stepien stories? I was too young to understand what was really going on back then. I do recall attending a game, and there was almost nobody at the game. For some reason, it was Dan Ford night. The only thing I remember about the game is a guy from the upper deck yelling in the quiet, empty arena, Stepien, you stink. (laughs) (laughs) Can you explain? (laughs) Well, Ted Ted Stepien bought the Cavs in 1980, and Stepien really – well, let's face it. You know it's bad when the NBA still has the Ted Stepien rule, which is that you can't trade. You have to have one draft pick at least every other year because he traded them all, and he hired Bill Musselman. It's almost like if you were to bring a person in to destroy a franchise. Uh, this is how you do it. <laughs> this is how you do it, and that was not his intent, but it just was. He um, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out which way to go. He had this guy named Boop Buttry. He would come out a heavy set guy. He would go out to half court, throw his hands in the air, and then bite into a beer can. 
And then he would <laughs> literally take a bite out of the beer can. And he would hold up the can that with the bite mark and then the piece he ripped out and expect a big applause. By the way, I got to know Buddha, a very nice guy, but, you know, he, he did everything. This was entertainment. I remember one time he was interviewed and he used to have this lingerie show at this hotel downtown. And, you know, he would say, well, I may not have a good basketball team, but you got to go down to Swingos at the downtown. And we got a great lingerie show every Wednesday night. <laughs> and he just like semi pro that Will Ferrell movie. It, it really, almost. It's, it's worse than that. <laughs> it, it was just even my ABA stuff had nothing quite as bad as this. And but unfortunately, uh, as he said, he was too young to understand it. I mean, I was around for that. I was doing the Indians back then, so I wasn't covering it. But in fact, but one time they sent me down to interview Bill Musselman because it's the offseason like basketball. And they were Musselman was at war with whoever was on the beat then. And maybe he'll talk to you, which he did. He talked and he talked and he talked forever. Remember, Musselman was a coach at Minnesota when they had that horrible fight with Ohio State and Luke Woody got basically mugged on the court and Musselman, you, you know, Musselman was really hated back then, even though he's from Worcester. I mean, he's a, he's a Northeast Ohio. He kept saying that I'm from here. I said, Bill, but that Ohio state thing is just all over you. And it was crazy. He, he kept firing Musselman and bringing him back. And he had a guy named Dan Delaney, a very nice guy, but his extent of his basketball coaching was at Lakeland Community College and he made him general manager. I'm just, I mean, just stuff like that. And I remember when they put Delaney in the coach for Musselman, I was happy because I thought, well, at least maybe this will be more sane, which he was more sane, but you know, by then everything was out of control. Uh, he hired Chuck Daly at one point and, and Chuck called it. I can't remember the exact number, but he lasted like three months. And he wrote, he, he would just tell everybody like my 84 days at the Richfield uh, Holiday Inn because he never <laughs> he knew he wasn't for long. Remember, they're pointing at the old Coliseum. Right. He just stayed at the old Rich, the Holiday Inn there. So it was a mess. Um, I wrote about this some in uh, uh, a couple of my books, um, one of them being Vintage Cavs. There's a lot in there about that. And then also, uh, uh, Brian and I talked about it in the franchise. Brian Winters and I in the, the book, The Franchise. So you get, all right, I'm trying to sell some books, but actually there's a lot more stories there. <laughs> all right. You want to see some of Terry's books? TerryPluto.com is the place there to you go. go. You'll find them there. So thanks for that. And, and of course, this Ted Stepien is a reason that the Cavs don't have, uh, can't trade any of their first round draft picks for a while. Yeah, that's it. The Stepien and, rule because they traded, the Cavs traded so many back to back first rounders that they made a rule known as the Stepien rule, right? And on top of that, Gordon Gunn, before he agreed to buy the team, had to cut a deal with the end because he had no draft picks for like four years, no first round picks. So he cut a deal with the NBA where he would drop buy draft picks that kind of popped in after the lottery. It was already there because he said, otherwise that's it. They were very close. I've written this to taking the Pacers franchise and the Cleveland franchise, rolling it into one and playing in Indianapolis. Cause this is back in the early eighties. This is not when these teams were worth a ton of money. These were these teams are on the verge of bankruptcy. And because uh, they almost bankrupt during the NBA ABA war, and it continued to really hurt these teams afterwards. So, oof, legendary stuff. So, all right, Terry, thanks for that. Um, we, I mentioned earlier in the podcast uh, Gordon Lightfoot passing away today at age 84, and I, I know that you care passionately about writing. And Gordon Lightfoot was someone who really touched you with his writing. I know, I think Bob Dylan called him a rare talent. I'm seeing mm -hmm. some of the obituaries today, but uh, what was it about the Gordon Lightfoot that really 
affected you? Well, I mean, I was, it was interesting. I was at Benedict and there was kind of like two waves of move of uh, music going. This is late sixties, early seventies Motown, which I was introduced to for the first time there. Cause I had come from Parma and Northfield to that. So remember Benedict is East side of Cleveland, very um, diverse. So we had Motown four tops and all that loved all that. And then there was the singer songwriters, which was Carol King and James Taylor and Gordon Lightfoot and that. And as a writer, I just fell in love with, with those guys, and especially, you know, Lightfoot, if you could read my mind and that. This is one of those, if you weren't there, it means nothing to you. Um, I mean, but he would write these epic songs like uh, the Ed, Curse of the Edna Fitch, or, yeah, the Wreck of the Edna Fitzgerald, um, which is, you know, about this freighter that leaves Lake Superior, is bound for Cleveland, of all things, with steel, and it doesn't quite make it out, and you just would write things about, you know, how the bells rang 29 times for each one buried or each one down deep at the bottom of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And it's just wonderful lines. You know, uh, uh, Lightfoot was from Canada, uh, lived a lot of his life in Toronto, had a fascination with the West. But a lot of it was the Canadian West the, uh, when you when you go out the Rockies out there. And it's just those songs. Uh, it was kind of bittersweet. I mean, I, I, I love one of the, one of these lines too. So, uh, when you, when you, I bet we've all felt like that. Sometimes I think it's a sin when I feel like I'm winning, but I'm losing again. That should be up in the, like for every cat, every, every Cleveland fan. Sometimes I think it's a sin when I feel like I'm winning, but I'm losing again. It's from a song called sundown, you know, uh, I just, I just love his stuff. It's, I, he talked about another one uh, thing about somebody writing a letter in the uh, in the in the uh, uh, in a winter the fading winter light and, and things. It's you know he he wrote clear concise short lyrics and then he would but very district, descriptive and I like to go this is how I try to write. By the way, Jimmy Buffett is somebody who said Gordon Lightfoot was a, a big. Um, influence on him even though their their music you know jimmy's all reggae whatever and yeah. lightfoot was you know the north woods well uh, and you look at the the artists who covered gordon lightfoot stuff i mean it's like johnny cash yeah and, and jane's addiction and elvis and you know it's a it's a pretty wide he he, he had a very wide influence so yeah and he, he, um, he went right up to the end so it's a good day if you like gordon lightfoot to break it out interestingly now um adam uh amanda rabinowitz who i uh do uh NPR commentaries with on, on idea stream every week. So we're recording and I had her give the first read on my, um, Gordon Lightfoot column. She goes, she goes, I've never heard him. Hmm. So we sat there and, and we had the phone going and we did about five different, she goes, he's really good. I said, yeah. So you may never have heard him, but go out there and just grab a few. If you could read my mind and Canadian railroad trilogy, all kinds of songs on Gordon Lightfoot. And I bet, uh, if you like lyrics and you like kind of the old folk style, this will this will just uh, I think suck you right in. Yeah, and the, the, again, some of the stuff you're seeing in his obituary today. This is a quote. He said, "I simply write the songs about where I am and where I'm from. I take yeah. situations and I write poems about them." And that's yeah, exactly he starts what you're talking with about that, there. and he just yeah. really um, wasn't that. He went through some tough stuff. He went through alcoholism and then a stroke, and then he was in a coma for six weeks after he had an aneurysm in his stomach, something I've never even heard of. And Bell's palsy, and uh, he sang right up until about a month ago at 84. It's really something. So, 
All right, Terry, that's going to do it for this week. Um, oh, we need to talk about your newsletter, which comes out every Monday. You can sign up for that at cleveland.com slash newsletters. It's free, and you just get Terry's stuff in your inbox once a week. Anything else? I don't know. That's about it. No, that will do it. All right. We'll see. Uh, we got mini camps coming up for the Browns. We'll see if they uh, have Ferraris or Pintos, I guess, for some of the Ford Pintos. <laughs> don't want Pintos. No Pintos. No, no Pintos. Keep it to no the uh, the Ferraris and the cars that run fast. So. All right. We'll catch you next week, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon on Terry's Talking.